Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Talking. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. And in the past, we had done a podcast about the use of speech and language assistance. And in that podcast, we promised our listeners that we would try to find a speech and language assistant that we could interview to get their perspective. And today we're so lucky we have Rhonda with us, and she's going to give us her perspective, and we're really excited to hear from her. So Rhonda worked with Sherry at an elementary school for 11 years, and that was all she could stand, and she had to leave. She had to go all the way to Saskatoon. (laughs) <laughs> she couldn't she couldn't stand it. She had to get far away. She went to Saskatoon. And that's uh where she works in private practice now. So that's pretty exciting too. So uh Rhonda has had several different kinds of experiences working as an SLP assistant. And yeah, so we're excited to have you, Rhonda, and welcome and let's let's hear hear from you. <laughs> well thank you and um I, I was very lucky, too, that Sherry is my SLP, and uh, I didn't leave because of her. Actually, she left on because she decided that uh, she wanted to retire. So that oh. actually was, uh, yeah, that was that was a sad day when she told me that. So. <laughs> well, Rhonda, it's really great to talk with you again because uh, we did spend a lot of years together, and I do miss all our crazy times together in the school division but uh, we, we were through a lot of ups and downs and we had fun times and some frustrating times and actually you helped me through a few sad times too but <laughs> but I know you're we've been talking and I know you're really enjoying your private your change to private practice and working with another uh, SLP and I'm sure she's pretty thankful to have you as her her oh. right hand for sure if I, I think she would really have benefited from meeting up with you for sure so but over the years the the SLP program really morphed I think you know in 11 years we've made a lot of changes and I do kind of think from my vantage point that it was kind of the best when when I left and we were at our peak but what do you think are some of the highlights that we had over the years (laughs) um well, I think the, one of the biggest things that I think that for me that happened is my, the teachers that I worked with, they really bought into what we were selling and they made it valuable and they appreciated everything we were doing. And I think that's why we were able to be as successful as we were is because I did have such a great team that I was able to work. Yes, I would agree. You did have a, a super gang that you worked with there. And what about training uh, we've talked in in our slp podcast previously about the concern that there isn't sort of consistent training uh, across the province here in saskatchewan and you did pursue additional training was that through grant grant McEwen? was it yeah uh, it was it was through grant McEwen in edmonton and um so what grant McEwen did is we would do a semester of learning and then we would do a semester of online training Uh, or not online, but where we were going out into doing practicums. And for me, I was able to take what I had learned and make it tangible for me. And because I was working with other people in the profession, it made it so hands-on and the learning style was really, really great. That that style worked. So you did get that training. Now, uh, was it a certificate or what did you receive? I had my diploma. It's a diploma, and was it two years then? It was two years. 
And unfortunately, I think in the province of Saskatchewan, in the education system, they really don't recognize that as financially or you never were able to be, what's the word I'm thinking of, that you got got uh, um, money for it. Compensated, yeah. there you go. Yeah. No, I really, I really didn't. Uh, I worked as EA wages. So if you were looking at the best model of training and what would your opinion be? Should it... Do you think it needs to be a program? Do you think it could be ongoing PD, like online type of training? Or do you think uh, it absolutely needs to be in the schools, on the job, if you're going to gain the skills in schools? Or if we were just talking schools, and I know you're in private practice doing other things now, but what would you think should be like a standard? I think it would have to be a combined. The one thing that I've learned about going private is that you have to have your schooling in order for you to be licensed. And there are not enough licensed SLPAs. There's a lot of people, and they are fabulous, that have just taken on the role of an SLPA. They have learned it. They've taught it them to themselves, and they've had SLP help as well. Um, and they are great. However, if you want to go and work private, you have to get licensed, which means you have to have your education behind you. We need more licensed SLPAs. Definitely. Do you you think that um, the current programs where people are, because we don't have one in Saskatchewan, right, that they are sufficient? Or do you you really have any any opinion about that? Do you think other people can step in and do what you're doing? You know what? I think anybody can, can do it. And there are people, the person that took over my job, she has ran with it. She has, she's impassioned about it. And so she's able to do it. However, having said that, that's great if you are in a a smaller town and, you know, you're able to kind of zone in on your skills. If, If you're going to work private, you have to have that standardized testing. And I do really like the way like Grant McEwen did it so that you were able to be getting your experience and then being able to be online and and going out and doing your practicums and understanding everything, making it more tangible. I don't know, did I answer that for you? I'm not sure. Yeah, yes, I think you did. I think you would really say that, yes, you do think there needs to be a program and the ideal program is the in-class and practical experience, hand-in-hand. Yeah. Hand. That is what worked the best for me, for sure. And I, I think I would agree kind of with what you said there, Rhonda, it's if you're in a, a single situation where you're working with just one type of student with one type of communication disability, I think if you have the right person, that person could learn that. But to have that two-year background with all of the knowledge and training you took at Grant McEwen, that allows you to hop around and do different things with different kids. And I can see why they would require you to have that certificate before you, yeah, yeah, so, or that diploma. So you and Sherry had quite a structured approach, I imagine, knowing Sherry. (laughs) Um, Maybe you can explain a little bit, when you worked in the schools with Sherry, what your day was like. Well, I was, you're going to hear me say lucky a lot, but I I was very lucky. Um, I was able to go and talk to the teachers and figure out, what worked for them, and I was able to work around their schedules. And so I made up my own schedules, and I had people, or I had kids for every 20 to 25 minutes. And my big focus when we were doing it was a lot of articulation. 
some phonology, and then um, we also worked on a language-based program for kindergartens as well. And my queso was very busy. I was very busy, but I was never bored. And for me, I like to be busy. So all those things lined up and yeah, I loved it. That's awesome. And then you said you you mentioned about the kindergarten kids and who else was on your caseload? So I work mainly from kindergarten up to grade three. Usually by grade three, we had hopefully kind of got them all. And those were the, the ones that maybe had come in, had moved and so we had kind of caught them at the tail end of their K to three. So, um, like we were really trying to get a hold of them at an early age so we could really help them out. And again, uh, knowing Sherry as well as I do, I know she's big on accountability. She's very accountable herself, and she wants everybody else to be. Yeah, <laughs> <Lead> driver. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I I just admire that. And so, what kind of systems did you use when you were working with Sherry? So I had binders for every kid. So every child that I had had a binder. And then I kept track of every session that they came for. And then if they weren't there, was it school-related or was it sickness or was it something else? And that way, when Sherry and I were going over our information, we were able to see if progress was being made why it wasn't being made, and what we needed to do to change things up or to address it. So did you did you find that was a burden, all the different tracking, or what were your thoughts about that? No, because that's the only way that we had data to prove that what we were doing was working or wasn't. So for me, when Sherry would say, oh, like, are, you know, have you seen lots of them, or how is this child doing? I'd be able to say, wow, we're not doing so well here's the reason why they've been sick for this long or they've missed this many sessions or whatever. And it was also accountable for me to know that I was A, doing what I was supposed to be doing, B, I was doing my job, or C, I needed to change things up because what I was doing was not working and we weren't making progress. I I think one of the things we talked about, too, was the difference between a speech and language assistant and other EAs carrying on other programs. And I think a lot of EAs would have loved to have had more structure and know that they were completing something and not just sort of helping in doing busy work with kids or, you know, that there was, you could see the progress and, and you're responsible for that progress. So, I mean, it really, I think, is motivating for a speech and language assistant to have that kind of system set up too. Yeah, for sure. In the long established programs like you had for 11 years and, and all of that, I had worked in almost all the schools when it first started had devoted uh, space and uh, quite a lot of materials as well. So what would you say about the type of workspace you would think was best? And did you think you had enough materials? And we added sort of online digital iPad activities and apps and things. Do you think, did you have an opinion as to what was best practice over the years? Or um, Well, I was, I was very lucky. My school gave me a dedicated space, so I didn't ever have to move my stuff around or, like, my kids were always knew where we were going and this was our time. And, and it, so it gave us a lot of consistency, which was really good. Plus, I had all my supplies there. And I I think, and still do, I use a variety of methods. It just depends on the students that I'm working with. Um, Some are more hands-on. 
some are more involved, some I have to do in a different strategy. So I think the biggest thing is you have to be open-minded and be able to pivot whatever way is going to work best for that student. And sometimes I do use digital, sometimes I use cards, sometimes I play lots of games and they're all fun, but they're all tilted so that I'm getting the goals that I want out of it. And we commented that over time things changed with teachers and and really how the model was happening within the school division. I think your school stayed pretty close to what it had been all along, where they really didn't mind you taking kids out of the classroom. But towards the end, when I left, most of the schools were really not buying into the speech and language assistant model. They really wanted the speech pass to get into the classrooms and things. What was your experience, and and what would you what would you comment about that? I was. I was very lucky. I was very lucky. The majority of my teachers that I worked with, they found that this program was important. And so they were willing to let me work around their schedules. At the beginning of the year, I usually went in and talked to the teachers and asked what times worked and what times didn't. And the time that they said, absolutely not, I avoided those times. And that seemed to work the best as long as I was able to work around their schedules. And I would also check in with them throughout the year to make sure everything was working. And I think because I was able to communicate with them, it helped. Yeah, you had that great rapport with people that that was years, years in the making as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know you can't speak for her per, per se, but your sister was also a speech and language assistant. And, yeah. and I don't think she had the same experience as you did as far as, as uh, having the yeah. same, even, even the workspace and things in her yeah. setting. So, yeah, I think you did know that it, it had stayed quite uh, standardized at your school for a lot of years. Yeah. And I I believe it still is the same, actually. They just really prioritize that this is a priority and it's valuable and it helps. Like, we've we've done the program and they can see it working. And the, the wonderful thing about this program is lots of our teachers' kids have also been in the program. So they can see the value of it. And once they buy into it, I mean, it just helps with your success. Yes, and we we actually went through even a few principals at that school. So we the leadership did. changed, and the student services teachers changed, and yeah, but it did maintain very well. So it was awesome. Yeah. So Rhonda, best practice has changed over time, and you know we used to have the kids come out two or three times a week for a longer period of time, and now we're wanting to have the kids out daily for shorter sessions. Looking back at that, were you involved in that change at all? And what do you think about the the more frequent, shorter times? I, I think for me, this is just what I found, I just found that consistency was key. For me, I had been working part-time, so I saw the kids every second or third, like I saw them two or three times a week, and the consistency was the key. And the other thing that was just, it was invaluable is that the kids had to be excited to come, and if they had found our sessions a punishment or they weren't fun, that it was going to be hard to get them to come and, and work on our goals and go through the session. So teacher involvement as well was extremely important if the teacher presented our sessions as you were lucky and you weren't you weren't punished for not being there or having left the session it 
like our success rate was just just greatly improved. And um, yeah, so the teacher didn't say, "Oh, well, you'll, you're missing this, and and you'll have to do it when you come. Back. You'll have to make up for that time or something." Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that was, that's that's key. Yeah. yeah. And how did you keep your students motivated? <laughs> Again, like I said, you're gonna see that there was a a theme here, and, and I was very lucky because 99% of my kids were very, very excited to come. And the kids that didn't get to come, they would find me and they would say, it is my turn. Like, it is my turn. I haven't had my chance. And and they just saw it as something fun and lucky that those kids got to do. And so somewhere along the lines, things switched and they just... They just loved coming. It was because of you, Rhonda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it was a team approach. I think if the principals hadn't bought into it and the teachers hadn't bought into it, I think, I don't think it would have been as successful. And what about transitioning from playing games to do more, quote unquote, work? So no fooling around, let's just get to it. And maybe using a different incentive approach. What were your experiences with that? Well, again, my kids were so happy to come, and and so they knew that we always did the work first, and then there was always time for something fun, and and usually they got to pick it. Um, Again, my goals, were it was always tilted towards my goal, and we were always working on it, but they didn't know that. They just thought it was fun, and, and sometimes they got prizes, sometimes they didn't, and they were okay with it. They were... They were just really just excited to come out and be that lucky one that got to come. And I, I think, again, over the years we did, in those very early years, we spent a lot of time trying to, you know, think of games for kids to play. And, and uh, you know, they had to play a game while they were doing the therapy to keep them motivated. But yeah. best practice and research showed that, you know, really the kids didn't need that much reward to keep motivated and so it got pushed back a lot in in the lifetime of my career um there weren't we just didn't make up the cutesy games anymore we just got to doing the therapy and as Rhonda said it's a really good reward system is the one that is not consistent is the one that's um the incentives are now and again and that is a strong motivator too they don't know exactly when they'll get it or what they'll get it get for their um prize or their incentive and and so that that does work well and i agree they're always running you have to always say don't run down the hall because <laughs> the kids would be running to down the hall to see Ronda. <laughs> and it's, oh, that's always a, a fun memory in my mind. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so you and I uh, spent a lot of days together when I was at the school and uh, I did observe your sessions and you spent time observing mine and I did when I've talked to other people that just really was not a typical approach, but I do think that is how we blended so well in in me knowing what you're doing and you knowing what you were doing and why you even came to a lot of my testing sessions just to watch the test you see where the child was at, and uh, you got to sort of be part of the observation of the testing. 
what do you think about that? Did we spend maybe too much time doing that or not enough? Or what would you I, say? I just felt very lucky that you were okay with me observing those sessions. Um, it gave me a chance to build that foundation that I did being a brand new SLPA and I'm really trying to, to figure things out. That laid the foundation for me and it gave me a chance to see like what and where and how they were struggling and it, it gave me that footing in so that I already knew before I started working with them, how I wanted to approach it. And it, it just, like, it was just invaluable to me that I was able to just basically hit it running and not have to try and figure out how I wanted to approach this child and what was the best strategy. So it was invaluable to me. And I'm so glad that you were able and willing to let me sit in on those. And, and again, I think that also is an administrative thing that I don't think other schools even kind of want to allow it, which is, to me, unfortunate. I think you and I are on the same same page then as far as thinking it was valuable. But it, I do think if you have watched and seen several children be administered, say, the phonological awareness test or the clinical evaluation of language functions or any of those basic tests and you get to watch more than one child and you can see this the struggles they may have in answering or the things that they're very fluent with answering and then you know also all those subtests and kind of we got a chance to talk about well what is that testing and then mm-hmm. or understanding of of your own kids you were working with so yeah if i think i would also say that that would and should be included in speech and language assistance the training opportunities if possible. Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to mention with that is sometimes the results would come back in and the teachers would ask me, they'd say like, how did they get this? Like, I don't understand this. And I, and I was able to say, Oh, I was part of that. I saw that. And this is where they struggled with. And this is the reasons, this is what they did. And then the teachers were like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so for, for me, it was able to do that full circle around that, yes, I had seen it, this is how they answered it, and these are the things that we're going to do to help them get to where we want them to be. It was just, it was invaluable. Well, the fact that you're there in the school all the time, and I was only there, you know, a couple times a month or whatever, and I, as you say, in a day might not have an opportunity to even have gone through the results of a a test with the teacher, and uh, Mm -hmm. it it was... uh, really valuable to everybody i think yeah i really recommend that part of it and i know and i know not everybody does it but yeah very very valuable and you may have commented on this already i think you have in in lots of ways but i had a question here about wondering if you would comment on being a speech language pathology assistant in a school with regards to the leadership teacher support, team collaboration and communication. I I know uh, you were also in most team meetings I was in, you were invited and were there and sitting and and able to collaborate with the team and and report to families and things. We didn't have very many of them in my opinion, but we should have had more. What what else would you say about more that could be done in teaching or educating leadership or other, the teachers themselves or the student services teachers or any of them about about the role of a speech and language assistant? Well, I, I think as as you both know, the SLPs get to go in and diagnose, 
and they get to identify the areas that this student needs. The speech-language pathology assistants, we go in and do the therapy, and we are the ones that take it and run with it and, and really work on those skills. If you don't have a supportive team, it's just so hard. It's, a, it's such a struggle. And if you have that connections with your teachers and with your student services teachers, it's, it's night and day because they support you. I know I really valued working with them, so I'm hoping that they also felt that way. I think they did. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure guess, that they did. I guess we'll have to have the student services teacher uh, interview in order to know the real answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and I was I was so lucky, um, and you'll I know you can attest to this, Sherry. Is I had Heather as my student services teacher when I first started, and that woman was phenomenal. She she should be running our country. She was so great at her job and what she did and she cared so much that it it was it was just amazing to have had her as my confidant and my person to work with and my you know anytime I had a question she was just right there and willing to listen and stop everything and I, I was very fortunate I would agree for it, sure it yeah. sounds like you had an almost ideal situation but I wonder if there were any challenges that you faced when you were working in the schools. I did. I did. And and there's, like, the, honestly, I hate to say it, but it's the teachers. Because you do have some teachers who don't buy in, and they're not supportive. And it just made things so difficult that when it, it – was, it was a big stressor because I knew I had to deal with them on a daily basis, and you're always questioning – how do I do this better? How do I make this better? How do I, what can I do to change it? And I mean, the reality is that there's just sometimes there's nothing you can do. And it just, they just don't want you in their classroom and they don't want you taking them out. So that was my biggest challenge, hands down. Yeah, that in a, in a lifetime, there's a continuum of personalities and people and people who understand about communication disorders and others that don't. And yeah, yeah, for sure. That would be my, I would say, my challenge alongside of you, too. Yeah, for sure. And then what recommendations would you have for the development of better interventions for children with communication disorders in Saskatchewan schools? Um, well, I have, I have two things that I think, and Sherry's going to laugh because she knows how I feel about this, but one thing is hearing tests. Um, I, like, yeah, I know. You know that how I feel about them. I just, they're so easy to do and they just offer such an insight into what the kids are struggling with and if there is a problem we need to intervene like immediately so that they don't miss any more of those building blocks that they have missed out on that's just huge to me and the other thing is early intervention I, I cannot stress it enough I really feel that that we need to just have early intervention so that we can help these kids be successful. The one thing that I think COVID showed all of us was how important school was, how important communication and daily interactions and being social is and was. And we're still seeing the results of COVID. And I'm just going to jump in here and say, we didn't coach Rhonda one iota about her. No. <laughs> Honestly, we didn't. <laughs> no, nope, we didn't. This is, this is all, these are all my ideas. Good or bad. Good and bad. 
I just wanted to thank you so much for helping us with our podcast and joining us with the conversation and helping us advocate and in our quest to advocate for intervention mm-hmm. for Saskatchewan uh, kids with communication disorders. And I also will thank you for an incredible career with me that I've, hundreds of children benefited from you and all your speech and language interventions. And my role would have been nothing it would have been just pointless without you for sure so i thank you thank you thank you and, well it was uh, a team it was a team effort if we both weren't working together it, it just wouldn't have happened so you know that wasn't that wasn't all on me that was that was the teachers that was the principals that was you like it was everybody who bought in and it just you have to have that in order for it to be successful so and if we can facilitate that at other schools, because again, uh, I hate to say it, but I think we were just uh, a very much a minority in having something so exceptional happen at the school you were at. So again, there's there's your evidence-based practice and somebody where we gathered the information and, and have the data on, on what great outcomes can happen with, with that kind of a setup. I agree. Yes, thank you, Rhonda, for joining us. It was just wonderful to hear your perspectives today. And and again, we didn't coach you. You came up with your own answers here. These are <laughs> yeah, but you made some really good points, so that's great. <laughs> um, well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, do you have any other comments that you want to make? Anything that any other things that we didn't touch on today? Well, the. There's, there's one thing that I do want to say, and this, this SLP that I worked with, you know, quite a few years ago, she once told me, um, and I remember the conversation so vividly, she said, you know, we are so lucky that we are able to have one-on-one time with a child, and sometimes that's the only one-on-one time that they will get throughout a day or maybe even a week, and not everyone gets to have that impact, so you better make it the best time that they get in a day. And that is something that I think of every time I go into a session with a kid or a client, because I don't just work with kids anymore. And I I really firmly believe that you have to give it 150% every time because they deserve it. And um, yeah, that SLP is is listening right now. And I I wonder if she remembers that conversation that we had. (laughs) I think I might have. That's so true. So to those of you who've joined our podcast today, we really want to hear from you. Are you an SLP assistant yourself? What are your experiences? Are you an SLP who's worked with SLP assistants or maybe you really want to? Do you have a model that you think is just absolutely fabulous? Make sure you let us know and let us know what your your thoughts are. You can contact us at letstalktalking.com on our website, or you can go to Facebook or email. Facebook is also Let's Talk Talk. And our email is Sherry and Cheryl at letstalktalking.com. So if I say Let's Talk Talking one more time. <laughs> but um, for Let's Talk Talking, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Sherry. Let's, Let's talk. talk.